Welcome back to the Axe Murder Diaries. I'm your host, Amanda Millette, and today we are talking about the tragic murder of the Porter Sisters, December 12, 1872, near Columbiana, Ohio. So this case does involve the murder of two little girls. If that is not something you are up for listening to, that's okay. We'll see you in the next episode. Um, I do, I did take the time to reword some things so that it is told in the most respectful way possible. And let me start by telling you why I'm talking about this case. So I stumbled on this case by accident. I was looking at old cabinet photos that were for sale. And I wasn't necessarily looking for any post-mortem photographs at all. But it just popped up. And it was these two little girls holding each other post-mortem, and the inscription in the back says, Minnie and Adeline Porter, the murdered children, and it described it as they were murdered by their father with a hatchet. So I wasn't originally going to buy the photograph. Um, I was like, you know, it wasn't an inexpensive photo, and, you know, that's not something necessarily I want to be known for collecting. Um... But I just couldn't stop thinking about them. You know, I went to sleep, I woke up, and, you know, the next morning I purchased the photograph. And it wasn't so that I could... I'm not sure exactly what I'm going to do with the photograph besides keep it in a safe place. Um, But I felt this instinct that I needed to protect them from being exploited. Um, So I purchased it, and they should be arriving tomorrow. But let me tell you something that's sort of personal and possibly paranormal. So the day that I purchased the photograph, a friend that I, a paranormal friend I'd met in Gettysburg texted me and she said, so this is really weird, but are you associated with um, two little girls? And I wasn't even thinking about that photograph at all at first. Um, I said, you know, I have, you know, I have two nieces, but they're like nine years old and 18. She's like, no, this was like, she's like, I had a dream and I was talking to you on the phone and I was watching these two little girls. She described them as about um, two and four years old. She said that, um, She wasn't sure exactly how they were associated with me, but when they heard my voice through the phone in the dream, that they were jumping on top of her, really excited to hear my voice. And I said, oh, that's strange. And then I, um, we were just sort of talking. I was like, oh, watch me have, watch me like one day have children and have them be two little girls. And I said, um, little Adeline, because I want to name a daughter Adeline. And then that reminded me of the photograph I just purchased that morning. I said, do you want to know something really weird? She said, yes, of course, because she's as weird as I am. And I said, you know, I described the photograph to her and the situation. And I said, do you want me to show you the photograph? And I showed it to her and she said, that's them. Those are the little girls in my dream. And she said it gave her chills and... I know this is very strange and 
it almost made me cry um, when I was talking about this with her and the first time I relayed this story to someone. And I know it sounds very bizarre, but she, then she told me, you know, it sounds like they're really excited to be, um, that, that you found them. And I just, I don't know what to think of that exactly. Um, but I am really passionate about telling their story in the best way possible and giving them a safe place where they won't be exploited. Um, but I will find a special place for them in my home. Um, so that is my weird little tangent. Um, you know, I'm a paranormal researcher. I'm not exactly sure what that means, but it gave me chills. It made me emotional. But now that's out of the way, now you know why I'm talking about this case. Let's get into it. This is the tragic murder of the Porter sisters, December 12, 1872. So I will be sharing two direct quotes, one from Susanna Flickinger, who is the wife of the murderer and the mother of the children, as well as Susanna's sister, Lydia, about what happened that day. But I'll first start with a general overview of what happened. So the Porter family consisted of mother, Susanna Flickinger, father, Erwin G. Porter, and their two daughters, three-year-old Minda, or Minnie, and one-year-old Adeline, or Adelaide. They lived with Susanna's parents in a small log home in a village two and a half miles east of Columbiana, Ohio. Downstairs, there was a kitchen and two rooms. The larger of the two rooms was used as a sitting room and bedroom. On the morning of December 12, 1872, Susanna's siblings, Lydia, John, Jacob, and Solomon, were sitting in the kitchen cracking walnuts. Mrs. Porter went upstairs to make the beds. Irwin went downstairs and started cracking the walnuts with his hatchet, quote, showing nothing unusual in his manner. Though I suppose that digging out the hatchet and then using it for the walnuts would be considered unusual. Minda or Minnie, the three-year-old, came into the kitchen and Jacob gave her some walnuts and she took them into the sitting room. Erwin remarked to Jacob that his hatchet was dull. He then got up and went into the sitting room where his three-year-old daughter sat eating walnuts. Erwin told his daughter to shut the door and he did, and she did, saying, now it's shut, Papa. There was a pitiful cry as Erwin Porter struck Minnie over the head three times with the sharp end of the hatchet. He then opened the door to the kitchen grabbed one-year-old Adeline and struck her twice over the head with the hatchet. He then threw down the hatchet into a wooden box, put on his hat, and started out of the house. His wife, Susanna, heard Minnie's cry and had come downstairs to see what was wrong. He passed by her on his way out, and she saw him throw down the hatchet. She asked him what he had done, and he said that he, quote, had done what he ought to have done before, and could not help it. Dispatches were sent out to local authorities and about 20 minutes after receiving the dispatch, Marshall Roller spotted Porter crossing the railroad track in Latonia. 
He went after him and Porter turned around and surrendered immediately. He asked the marshal to protect him from those who were in pursuit of him. Porter was immediately arraigned and pleaded not guilty to willful murder. He was taken to New Lisbon jail to await trial. Meanwhile, the police went to the home where the murders occurred. They got some background information about Erwin G. Porter. And I will tell you why I included this later or it might become obvious. They described him saying, quote, his head is small for a person of his bodily proportions. They discovered that he had been married before, but his first wife divorced him. Porter had served in many principal battles of the Civil War. Here is Susanna's statement of what happened. Quote, I am the wife of Erwin G. Porter. Saw Porter go upstairs several times this morning. At one time, I was upstairs. He asked me if he could get into his chest. I said he could by moving some things. He did so and opened the chest and took out his hatchet. I went downstairs and, it, and in a short time returned upstairs to make the beds. Porter was standing at the window. He went downstairs, did not see him have his hatchet. The next time I went up, he must have had it under his clothes. In a short time, I heard Minnie utter a pitiful cry. Started downstairs to see what was the matter and met Porter coming out of the room with the hatchet, which he threw into the wood box. I said, Herb, what have you done? He answered, quote, I have done what I ought to have done and could not help it. And he immediately left the house. I opened the door and saw my children lying on the floor dead. I ran out of the house and gave the alarm to the neighbors. Did not know of his drinking or being intoxicated at that time. He left home about the 1st of April last and did not return until about the middle of October. He said he was in Illinois. About three months ago, he threatened to take my life and the lives of my children. Minnie was the three... Minnie was three years old on the 22nd of November last, and Adelaide, Adelaide, one year old on the 33rd of October last, and it did say 33rd. Um, and her birthday was actually the 22nd, so that is likely a misprint on the newspaper's part. Okay. Sorry, this is, it's a little hard to get through, um, especially since the right before I started recording, the photo actually arrived. Um, and I opened it and looked at it for a while and I wasn't sure if I should have it out while I was recording and I decided to put it away. Um, I don't know, it, I know that sounds weird, but uh, it's just, it's, I, I really feel for these children, it's really difficult. Um, Okay, so in July of 1873, the Stark County Democrat reported that the trial was postponed because Porter's counsel made a request for a change of venue, alleging on account of the prejudice existing in the minds of the people, an impartial trial could not be had in that county. This was thankfully overruled. So he was described as a quiet and well-behaved um, person in his jail. Um, in jail, and his cell was on the first floor closest to the door. Um, and then the next article, it said in November of 1873, Erwin Porter escaped from New Lisbon Jail. And I will include two articles here. 
On Thursday night, Erwin G. Porter, the child murderer, and Oswald, the horse thief, escaped from the new Lisbon jail and as yet have not been captured. $500 reward is offered for their capture. When last seen, they were making for the Ohio River. So I suppose he was not that great of a prisoner after all. But thankfully, this next article recaptured Erwin G. Porter charged with the murder of his two children in Columbiana in December last and who escaped from jail at New Lisbon several weeks ago was recaptured in Edinburgh, this county, a week ago last Friday. The circumstances attending his rearrest are thus given in exchange. The facts of his rearrest are these. After he escaped from jail, he wandered about through the woods, sleeping in barns and unoccupied houses, until, until he at last came to Edinburgh, to the premises of his uncle, Samuel Wilson, and concealed himself in a sugar house where Mr. Wilson found him asleep. They at once recognized each other, and after t talking a while, Mr. Wilson invited his nephew to come to the house and get something to eat, and remain with him overnight. After supper, Porter retired to rest, supposing that he was safe in his uncle's house. No sooner had he done this than his uncle sent to Ravenna for the sheriff and handcuffs, and before P Porter awoke, they had one hand fast. Porter was taken back to the New Lisbon jail, where he remains awaiting his trial, which is set for tr which is set for trial the eighth day of December next. So you know what kind of person you are when even your family does not want you. Um, so the trial took place in December of 1873. Susanna Porter's 18-year-old sister, Lydia, was the first witness for the prosecution. This is her statement. Mr. and Mrs. Porter had been living at our house about a year prior to the murder. Although Porter didn't live with us during all the year, but they were part of our family. I was at home the morning of the murder, which occurred between 8 and 9 o'clock. We had breakfast. I and my brother Jacob, Charlie and John were in the kitchen cracking nuts when Porter came downstairs alone. He cracked nuts with a hatchet. I don't know where he got it. We sat there for about a fourth an hour. Minda came to us and Jacob filled her hands with kernels and she went to the sitting room to eat them. Porter said to Jacob that the hatchet was dull. I heard him tell Minda to go and shut the door. She did and said, now it's shut, Papa. I heard Minda utter a pitiful cry and just then Porter opened the door to get Adeline. I saw Minda lying on the floor in blood. Porter caught Adeline between the door and stove. The hatchet was bloody. He pulled Adeline into the room. I heard no noise afterward. I saw him five minutes later, staring, starting west toward Columbiana. He didn't have a hatchet. My brother Jacob went into the house with me as Mrs. Porter met us at the door. She went into the sitting room first. We saw the children lying on the floor behind the door. I cannot say if they were dead or not. They were both cut in the head. The elder had three cuts and the younger, two. Susanna's father, Henry Flickinger, stated, quote, He didn't support his family after he came home from the West. He said he was going to quit drinking and support his family. We had some trouble and he hit me on the head twice and kicked me in the ribs and on the leg. I talked to Porter several times about leaving my house as I had a large family of my own to keep. I told him three or four times after he came from the West that he should go to a house of his own, and he said he knew it. 
Porter claimed in the two months he was living there, he and his family were not treated well, but they were, quote, not abused. I don't trust anything that he has to say, personally. Irwin's brother, Joseph's wife, testified Irwin came to their house alone the day before the murders, quote, looking wild out of the eyes. So essentially, the defense for Irwin G. Porter was not to prove his innocence, but to prove his insanity. Captain Luby's opening statement claimed that Irwin had been eccentric and queer since he was a baby. He believed that part of the reason was that his parents were first cousins, quote, a fact which in numerous cases amount for both physical and mental deformities. And as you recall, he had a very small head. S.W. Gilson, an attorney who claimed to know Irwin's father well, stated, I have known Irwin for several years. His head was injured some years since by being struck by a falling tree. The sight of one eye and the hearing of one ear has been deficient from that time. Gilson also reported that Irwin's father was at times very peculiar and I believe at times positively insane. I also knew Joseph Porter, the grandfather of the defendant. He was also very peculiar at times, and as he grew older, his peculiarities increased. I believe he was at times insane. One of Irwin's sisters, Isabel Ackerman, stated, When Irwin was a child, any hurt, burn, or sickness would put him almost wild. She also reported that their Aunt Mary and their cousin Walker had, quote, severe mental problems. So it looks like there's a lot of different angles that could lead to Irwin's insanity, um, as they would say. So he is a product of incest, for one. Two, um, he was involved in the Civil War and principal battles. He was, he had a, a, a head injury which anyone who listens to true crime or knows about head injuries knows that that can lead to violence. Um, and there's also a significant um, family history of mental illness, it looks like. And let's also talk about some other family issues. Um, so again, Irwin's parents were first cousins and then their parents were second cousins. One of Irwin's cousins, Hannah Anderson, was described as a melancholy woman who had tried to drown herself and kill her child, who had the curious habit of ripping off her clothes at any provocation. Susanna's brother, John, um, so this is the other side of the family, not his side of the family. This is just a little bit of an extra detail. Um, Susanna's brother, John, who we mentioned earlier, who was in the house, um, later married and had a child. Um, until he left them for a 19-year-old woman named Bertha Longshore. He was 35 at the time. They had been living together for, quote, some time when she left him for another man and he shot her in the head and then himself. He died, but she recovered. Now, this is way into the future, but just a little aside here. So let's talk about the conclusion of this case. Sir Irwin Porter was thankfully found guilty of murder in the second degree and was sentenced to life in prison. A reporter for the Patriot wrote, 
The prisoner received his sentence with stoical indifference. Porter stated, I am an innocent man of the charges against me. I know nothing. Erwin Porter was taken to the Ohio State Penitentiary in Columbus, Ohio. And this is a little article here. T.C. Morris, Sheriff of Columbiana, had a prisoner, Erwin G. Porter, in charge and on his way to Columbus where he is doomed to serve the state for life for the murder of his two children about one year ago. I just like that included that he was doomed because he is. So Erwin's wife, Susanna, attended the trial but did not speak. She was not there the day of the sentencing. She continued to live with her parents until five weeks before the trial when she moved to Columbiana. After the family lost touch with her, she passed away at the age of 77 and was buried in Irwin, Pennsylvania. So it's safe to assume that she moved to Pennsylvania. Now I will leave you with this last article from when Porter was 38 years old. Irwin G. Porter, who murdered his children near Columbiana, Ohio in December last and sentenced to a life in prison imprisonment in the penitentiary died in that institution on the 7th soon after his incarceration he became a raving maniac and he was confined in an iron cell within the last few months he imagined that some persons had stolen his children and called for them continually so that is the last haunting image i will leave you with for that case um of course this case was very tragic and um, particularly difficult for me to get through, but I appreciate you guys sticking along for those little music breaks here. Um, and so the point of sharing the story is to remember little Adeline or Adelaide May Porter and Minda or Minnie Effie Porter. May they rest in peace. <laughs>